What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. To Family Caregivers Unite, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice... I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is, a, is caring in privacy. Now, that's a complex subject and a difficult subject. So here's a bit of background which may be useful to family caregivers, particularly if they're caring for somebody in the home. In Ontario, Canada, there's currently a class action suit arising out of a situation in which privacy of the personal health information of identifiable people appears not to have been properly protected. The very fact of the lawsuit raises questions of what privacy actually means in our electronic era, how much it matters, and whether we are all sufficiently concerned about it. So to discuss this, caring in privacy, our guests are Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. Now first, to introduce Alex, Alex is a lawyer with the law firm Faskin Martineau in Toronto, and he practices in the area of privacy law. He works with clients with a wide range of industries where privacy issues arise, including the health sector. He's currently the chair of the Canadian Bar Association National Privacy and Access Law Section. He's played a leading role in a number of the Bar Association submissions to government, including in relation to privacy legislation. And in 2011, he was commissioned by the Office of the Privacy Commission of Canada to author drafts of a privacy handbook for the legal profession. And that was called, after the law, PEDA, as it's abbreviated, and your practice, a privacy handbook for lawyers. Dr. Bill Bonner is an associate professor at the Paul J. Hill School of Business, University of Regina, Saskatchewan where he teaches the subject of management information system. He's conducted privacy research for over 10 years. He's re- he received his PhD from the University of Calgary. And as a privacy advocate, he believes that at the core of privacy is the question of respect and that this is important and worth protecting. He recognizes that privacy interests must be balanced against other interests, but what puzzles him is how unbalanced the balancing act appears to be in practice. And he has a forthcoming book chapter entitled The Problem of the Problem of Privacy. So 
So, welcome to the show, Alex and Bill. Thank you. Now, first off, Alex, I'm going to ask you the first question. Just please expand a little bit more about your interest in privacy and how you, you came to get involved in it. I've been interested in privacy probably for about 10 years now, um, concurrent with really the introduction of uh, laws in this area as we now know them. Um, there have been sort of patchwork privacy laws around since about the 1960s uh, in different forms. But uh, really about 10 years ago with the introduction of uh, PIPEDA, I call it, uh, in the federal sector, um, I uh, was tasked with figuring this law out and as a result developed a practice and, and quite an interest in, in the area and in fact uh, took time off from my practice to go back to graduate school in law uh, where I pursued uh, a master's and a doctorate in privacy law. So um, I, I have uh, both a professional and uh, sort of personal intellectual interest in the area and uh, certainly enjoy working in this area because it presents a lot of challenges as technology evolves and um, different uh, organizational practices evolve and forces folks working in the area to uh, keep on their toes. Thank you. Bill, same question. Tell us more about your interest in privacy and how you, how you got started with it. Well, the idea that, um, that technology is changing society, that society can't keep up with technology, um, I think that's a, it misguides our focus because technology does nothing by itself. It's purely embedded potential, and people have to act on it. And so by, by making uh, technology the scapegoat, we lose sight of the fact that people are actually act, acting on it. And so it seems to me that we bypass in, in that process questions of ethics. They just don't appear. Um, as you indicated in the introduction, I believe privacy is important. Uh, it's an important part of who we are and how we define ourselves in our relationships with others. Um, in the area of privacy, we get into the notion of balance, that privacy must be balanced against other interests. But in my research, I seem to, or I seem to observe, at least, that that balancing act is imbalanced from the get-go. And weighting privacy against other interests, the scale tilts way too easily of other interests. So as a consequence, what I see happening is that privacy is what is left over after really important matters are taken care of. That begs the question, are they really that important, and how do we know? And these balancing acts that I tend to study are often conducted behind closed doors. We don't know who's engaged in the balancing act. We certainly don't know the substance often. It's not uh, forced upon the people who want to use uh, represent these other interests to explain themselves adequately. So I'm disturbed by the, the, th that impact on the quality of the arguments. If, if the other interests are the balancing act takes place behind closed doors, then what is the substance? What, what, is there any substance forced on, on, on that balancing act? I mean, like, clearly the idea of balance has a logical appeal, but it has to be enacted. And that seems to be imbalanced in practice, which makes it both puzzling and interesting. Right. I'm going to come back to that okay. uh, broad question in, in, in a moment or two. Uh, but I'd like to go back to Alex and just ask you, please, to give us some more information about your legal practice relating to privacy and the kinds of privacy issues that you actually deal with that arise in your practice. Alex? Well, they, 
in many cases uh, arise, of course, at that intersection of balancing privacy against um, other interests. And in, in my own practice, I do a lot of work in the private sector, uh, but the, the principles are really applicable across most areas where personal information is implicated by any organization, be that uh, a private sector business or, or a government. And the types of issues that you see across these different fields and that I see in, in my practice uh, really have evolved over time. And, and so from the early days uh, of folks paying attention to these issues, we saw, of, of course, um, uh, plenty of attention paid to, well, how do we get our house in order at a basic level to, to comply with our legal, legal obligations in this area, uh, which reflected in many cases, of course, practices that already existed. So, it, you know, it, it wasn't the introduction of privacy laws, for example, that made um, uh, hospitals and other organizations pay attention to privacy. There is a, a long-standing uh, respect for privacy in, uh, in, in many aspects uh, of these areas. So um, it, it, with the introduction of laws, though, there, there was uh, a more formalized attention paid in, in some respects to, uh, to complying with the law. And so since, since those days, which uh, really has been over the last, uh, you know, 20 years or so, really since the, uh, the rise of the digital network society, uh, you know, we now see a more um, specialized uh, type of legal issue arising uh, in addition to just general compliance, whereas uh, it, it, general compliance now is, is assumed in, in some respects. And so organizations are um, expected to have complied with their legal obligations with respect to privacy, and most have their, their house in order. And so it may be a matter of um, tweaking things here and there uh, that we're asked about uh, or dealing with um, specific types of issues like privacy breaches. Uh, and so the case that you mentioned at the outset of the program is um, the type of situation that uh, we might be called on to give advice in, in connection with where uh, information is uh, inadvertently lost or um, is uh, is taken or accessed um, by um, uh, wrongdoers, uh, yeah. you know, criminals or others, um, yeah. you know, intentionally, uh, as opposed to just just lost uh, litigation related issues. Um, Alex, I'm going to yes. just stop you there because sure. I, I just want to get a question in. Uh, with Bill before we mm. run into the inevitable break, as we do. So, Bill, please tell us um, a little bit more about your current privacy research. What are you, ex what are you exploring? At the moment, I'm exploring, um, basically, I go back in the past. So the issue being about balancing acts, taking decisions being made behind closed doors. I'm wondering if we can learn from the past. So most recently, most recently, I've been looking at, went to the uh, University of Illinois, into their archives, for the uh, Privacy Protection Study Commission uh, of the United States in 1976. And hopefully this February I'll be going to the archives in Ontario to look at the Commission of Inquiry into the Confidentiality of Health Information in 1978. What makes these commissions really, really cool, and they're exciting when you get into them, is that the commission chairs have the authority of judges. You will show up on this date. You will tell me, answer my questions. You will give me the answers truthfully or you will go to jail. 
And when you read these things, it's just bizarre because what it does is it gives us insight. Sorry, what it gives us, it gives us insight into balancing act, things that we don't normally see. It opens the door. Um, so it offers us a, t- a chance to test the arguments and see the arguments. Um, now, I'm going to stop you at that particular point, not because I want to cut, cut you off on the topic, but because we are running into the break, yeah. and I want in the next segment to bring out these issues in rather more detail, because I think your point about the history and the strength of some of the uh, inquiries that went on in the past is profoundly important, because it raises the question of whether we've forgotten or not remembered things that we should have remembered. So we'll come back to that. Now, as, I keep, as I've said several times, it is time to take the break. We do have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you feel as if your life is just filled with random, awkward moments? Believe me, you're not alone. Tune in every Friday for TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, with your host, Ashley Iola. Ashley has learned to own her awkward, and she guides you how to do the same. It's awkward, but it can be a lot of fun, too. We'll talk about relationships, sports, food, health, family life, and social life. Each show hopes to make you a bit more in control of your awkward. Tune in to TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. So what is this thing called love? It's a question that people have attempted to answer for centuries, and it's a subject that will continue to fascinate us until the end of time. This show is all about people just like you, along with experts and celebrities, all sharing experiences dealing with matters of the heart. Join your hosts, Devin Berger and Jamel Davenport, every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, for This Thing Called Love on the Voice America Variety Channel, and get the answers about love that you need. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Dez Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. Our topic is caring in privacy. 
Um, now let's talk about privacy with so much information traveling the world electronically. So, Alex, what, what does privacy really mean in this electronic world that we now live in? <laughs> well, um, I won't claim to have the answer to what privacy means, uh, which uh, most would acknowledge has been uh, extremely difficult to define um, ever. Um, privacy uh, is a concept which is uh, elusive in, in terms of a, a concrete definition. I think you know some of uh, the characteristics, obviously, that we see in the electronic world are that um, you know, privacy in some respects um, is and, and should mean what it has always meant. Um, it may be that there are new challenges that are faced in, in defining it and that it evolves somewhat uh, in, in terms of what we consider to be privacy uh, based on the context. And uh, in particular, uh, the electronic world brings, of course, some new ch new challenges for where different people draw lines in respect of privacy because um, different um, technological tools, social media tools, etc., have um, affected uh, what, or brought to light perhaps, uh, things which uh, have always existed about um, different um, personal perspectives on privacy. And so, um, expectations of privacy may be considered to change with with some technological changes, but there is also, of course, a value uh, underlying that, uh, which uh, one one uh, could very easily argue, and and, uh, and you see it that uh, privacy uh, is an important uh, social value, of course, and that it it should um, continue to exist notwithstanding changes in technology. So. Um, I hope that answers your difficult question about what privacy means in this day and age. Right. Now, I'm going to ask Bill a question which may help a little bit address the question of what privacy means in an indirect way. Bill, what are the risks to people when their privacy is not respected and not protected in the electronic world? Bill? No, well, I think that what happens, and again, we have to mention this earlier with the idea of being the past, the past. We forget the past and the data abuses of the past and assume that somehow because we're in the information age, everything's different. And I think the risk is that those people who see the potential in the technology will make that assumption while the rest of us are still assuming there's a certain degree of respect and, and civility out there. What this uh, data, this amassed data enables, <clears throat> excuse me, is action from a distance. We have no idea where the data went, we provided it to a provider, and it disappeared in the background, and seeing that it's amassed and digitized and accessible from many places, we have no idea, really, at the end of the day, who's got it, who has access to it, who's using it, for what purpose, and that's the idea of action at a distance. The other aspect of digital data that I'm really concerned about is that, and you see this in the original principles of development of principles that are supposed to protect privacy, is that people are now referred to as data objects. We're no longer the subjects of the data. We become data objects. And this increases the risk of um, dehumanizing the subjects of that data. So um, it enables, for example, somewhat indifferent, indifference because, well, it's just data. Forgetting that there are warm bodies on the other side of it. Or because action is taken from a distance, potential callousness. I don't care. They, they don't know I have it. They don't know. And forgetting that there are real people attached to that data and subjects of that data. 
Um, one of the risks that I see is that this question, which I really, really hate, what have you got to hide, becomes the norm, rather than what have you got to reveal. Um, it's, it's a horrible argument to make, but it seems to be a gaining currency. Um, the risk of this lack of knowledge of what's done is also the risk of isolation, that people can be uh, hurt by the data without ever knowing where the data come from, or that the data was even used. And then if the public becomes aware that someone was um, hurt by access to the data, well, they might begin to well, take an abusive spouse who is traced, for example, or an abused spouse who is traced by the abusive spouse through the motor vehicle register. Her address was found, and he went there and did harm to her. Would we ever know that that harm came about through the access to that data, A? And then B, the risk of isolation is that, well, if it did become public, say, well, you know, I'm not in an abusive situation, so it, you know, it won't apply to me. And that's, that's the risk I see of isolation for everyone. Right. Now, I'm going to come back to Alex. Uh, privacy, you know, you, uh, you said perhaps isn't that easy to define and never has been. But the risks that Bill's been talking about, mentioning and alluding to, maybe then are the things that need to be, people need to be protected against. Which raises the question, please, for you, Alex. How are people and their privacy protected in the electronic world, and who is responsible, actually, for providing the protection? Um, well, protection, of course, comes in different forms, I, I think, and, and it's important, I think, to think broadly about that concept because uh, you're quite right. I mean, those, those risks in terms of uh, when privacy is not respected uh, are present in this day and age, and so uh, the, the the question is important. The, the protection can come uh, obviously in the in the form of um, not collecting information in the first place, and and that's one of the principles of our privacy laws in Canada is to limit the amount of personal information that is collected uh, to that which is needed for the purposes uh, for which you're collecting the information. And so um, organizations are not supposed to go out and indiscriminately collect um, you know, broad uh, categories of information or volumes of information that uh, they don't need uh, for reasonable purposes. And so not collecting it often is uh, in some ways the best protection that, uh, that privacy can get uh, when you're talking about uh, the electronic world. and. Uh, in addition to that, obviously, um, it, 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 helping individuals uh, understand uh, and, and obtaining their consent to uh, the purposes for which information is collected, used, and disclosed is obviously another important protection and um, uh, principle that's uh, applicable in this context. And, and that can be difficult uh, in the electronic world because uh, there are um, sophisticated uh, things that can be done with personal information in this day and age, and so it it uh, can be a challenge to uh, ensure that uh, individuals are giving a, a, a knowledgeable uh, form of consent. But certainly, that's one of the other protections that, that exists in our laws. Um, all of those, of course, are um, applicable both to um, organizations, um, businesses, governments, others, um, and 
Uh, they're all subject to the, the laws, and so in terms of who's responsible, they're responsible. Um, of course, uh, lawmakers are responsible for making the laws in the first place. And in addition to the issues that I just identified, I think obviously there are um, security components of those uh, laws as well, and organizations and, and governments and others are responsible for ensuring they comply. Uh, all of that said, uh, who who is responsible? It's ultimately, uh, in large part, the individual, because uh, the ways that our uh, privacy laws are um, constructed and uh, and set up really places the onus uh, and the power uh, in the, in the hands of the individual to uh, access their personal information, to grant consent or not consent. Um, and and one could uh, debate, you know, whether the current laws, you know, strike the right balance uh, in terms of uh, what individuals are provided with, but. Uh, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that individuals are responsible for protecting their own privacy uh, by asking questions, by making sure that they understand or do the best they can to understand uh, what is being collected about them and uh, how it's being used and disclosed. Okay. But to Bill, to whom does it matter or should it matter that people's privacy is protected in the electronic world and why should it matter to them? And I'm asking you that in the context of um, what we've just heard that, um, you know, people, we ourselves should bear some of the responsibility. So the, really the question is, who else should it matter to that people's privacy is protected? Bill? Well, I'm going to restrict my comments here to, to the, the health, health field. I think Primarily the physicians, clearly, uh, and patients primarily should be the ones who should be most concerned. Um, if you think of that relationship, and your listeners know of this relationship, um, physicians need patients to be frank and completely forthcoming with whatever it is that ails them. That is what it's going to take to, um, to, in order for the physician to apply his expertise. And it's the only way the doctor-patient relationship works. Um, and if you, that's quite a bit different from, and if you think of personal relationships and you think of the relationship with your partner or your parents or your brother and sister or your children, um, people fairly close to you versus, you know, close friends or distant friends, people you play hockey with. Um, we define our relationships with others through this mutual exchange of information, this mutual exposure and the reciprocity, the sharing of information. The closer we are to people, the more they know about us, but then the, the more we know about them as well. In the, in, the, in the physician-patient relationship, that's not the relationship at all. I mean, you may know your physician and may be a nice person, but you don't, there's not that reciprocity. Mutual the confidentiality, confidentiality has to be there. It is the only way to And the issue, and again, who should care, is can the physician offer confidentiality? And I think we're written on this. Once the, once the data becomes electronic and is collected, where does it go? And if, a, and if the physician can't guarantee confidentiality, that's a fundamental breach of the relationship. So what I see there and why, why I'm concerned is that if either the physician or the patient doesn't believe the confidentiality, then there's a risk here, of course, that the patient isn't going to be as forthcoming as they should be right. for their own benefit. Now, sadly, we have to break in at this point for the, for the break, but those are key points that you've both just been making, and they lead us into what we're going to talk about in, in the, uh, the next segment. So let's go to the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guests are Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. Our topic is caring in privacy. So now let's talk about something that um, Alex and uh, Bill have both referred to, and that is consenting to people using our or accessing our personal information. So starting with you, Alex, please, we're often asked to give our consent to the use of personal information. What are the things that we should consider before we give it? Well, a a very good question, and and one which, uh, of course, as an individual myself, uh, I, I take to heart, and and so both, uh, you know, in my professional capacity and speaking on on some of the legal requirements and legal rights that individuals ha- have, but uh, also in terms of um, personally, what sorts of questions I ask. Um, of course, you know, any time that uh, consent is is being asked, um, you have to ask, well, well, who's who's asking for my consent here exactly? Um, and, and what is being asked? Uh, what information uh, is being collected from me? Is it information that um, I, that I, I clearly understand because I'm providing it, or am I am I being asked for uh, consent to uh, the collection of uh, information from some other party, a third party, uh, perhaps? Um, so the, there are a host of questions around that to ensure that uh, one understands what, in fact, they're consenting to, because, um, of course, that uh, can can implicate uh, your interests, as we've been discussing. Uh, related to that, the you know the identity and and you know what information is being collected and from where, of course, uh, is the question of use and how information is is going to be used and for what purposes and uh, if purposes 
are um, expressed uh, in a in a vague way or a general way, uh, it might be worth asking the question. Well, can can you be more specific and you know and get a good handle on it um, before uh, consent is given? Uh, the third uh, is disclosure. You know, to whom to whom is my information going to be disclosed? Uh, for what purpose? Um, you know, how can I get access to it, to the information that you've collected from me? So uh, those questions are the, are the ones which um, are reflected in our law, and so in, individuals have the right to know those types of things, and organizations are required, uh, generally speaking, to set them out and to explain the purposes for, for collections of information. And um, th- those are the ones which um, really come to the fore in, in the consent area. Of course, as I've mentioned before, organizations have... Um, you know, general policies and procedures regarding privacy, and they have security obligations and retention obligations. You know, how long is my information yeah. going to be kept? Um, but those ones tend not to be the things that people um, ask about. Uh, it, it's more, well, you know, what are you collecting? How are you using it? And, you know, where's it going? Yeah, uh, it's going enough. anywhere else. Bill, to you. Um, what... Who should this is a this is a question of who who should have access to our personal information without our consent? Well, quickly, or, or sorry, again, this is a now it's my turn for a tricky question. It's a good question and a tricky one. Ideally, you're, you're treating um, physicians, specialists, pharmacists, the lab people directly involved in your care. I would ideally say those are the only ones, and that should be the default position. The only ones who should have access to your personal information. The problem is. And his picture being in a in a in a waiting room when the physician comes in. These people have expertise, and I do not want when I'm sitting in that room with my 20 minute window, when physician see the person's back as they try and figure out what the password was, or what the network issues are, trying to drill into the, the appropriate screen um, to access what the, the immediate problem. I want them focusing their expertise in the case of a physician, on me physically. Turn around, let's deal with this. And so the issue that arises then, those are clearly the ones who should have access, delegation. How, the, the access to the data to prep the physician or the specialist will have to be delegated to someone else. And the question though goes, how far does that delegation go? Um, who makes these decisions? And once again, we're back in the balancing acts. What are we trading off here? If the balancing acts are too loose, and this is what Alex was talking about in part, if the balancing acts are too loose and it's left too open, then security becomes a huge issue and confidentiality may be compromised. Right. Now, Alex, in, over to you. In healthcare, there's something called implied consent. What does this mean and what might it mean for family caregivers caring for family members who may not be able to make consent decisions for themselves? Alex? Well, yes, the concept of implied consent is generally applicable across um, all sectors, and it it's a concept which um, is fine as far as it goes. Generally speaking, obviously, express consent uh, is um, better from a privacy perspective, but there are, of course, circumstances where implied consent is appropriate. And, it, you know, to use an example just to... to Bring that to light. I mean, in the in the private sector context, uh, you know, if I'm a subscriber to a, a magazine um, and uh, I haven't given express consent to the publisher to um, use my mailing address information 
to contact me for uh, any purpose other than delivering me the magazine, uh, uh, one might say, well, yes, but there's an implied consent that uh, you could be contacted at that address to renew your subscription. So, it's, uh, you know, that's a reasonable uh, thing to assume that you've consented to by subscribing in the first place. And uh, what, what that highlights is that, first of all, there's a, a, a bit of uh, analysis that needs to take place as to whether something is within the scope of implied uh, or not. Uh, and secondly, as that example highlights also, uh, implied consent is generally going to be more acceptable where you're dealing with non-sensitive information uh, and, and the circumstances more clear. And so in terms of what that means for um, family caregivers who, who can't give uh, consent uh, is that they need to be aware that, that there is a concept of implied consent out there and, and to understand what that might mean because in the absence of express consent, uh, it, it could be that um, those in contact with the um, family member personal information may be uh, relying on implied consent uh, as opposed to express consent in certain circumstances. But by and large, one would hope that um, express consent uh, is, uh, is sought and obtained in those circumstances. And if the individual themselves can't give it, then uh, other steps should be taken to, uh, to give a meaningful consent. Okay, now that leads into the question for Bill. Um, huge question, who should not have access to our personal information without our consent? Well, in general, and it's a tricky question, again, anyone not involved directly in the care of the patient should be excluded from access to specific um, health information. That should be the starting position. And with respect to the um, electronic health records that we're developing, this is an area where I, I, I'm really concerned. I don't think enough attention has been so, for instance, uh, a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago now in Alberta, they had what was referred to in the newspapers as a death watch. <clears throat> the mistress of the man whose wife was in intensive care, actually, um, anyway, leave it like that, um, over the course of um, 17 times over six days, this clerk, a plastic surgeon's office, was accessing the medical records of the wife. It was basically a death watch. She was, um, actually, she's recovered. But who, why did she have access? In what, in what possible um, role would a, a clerk in a, in a plastic surgeon's office have? And so this leads me to the concerns that are derived from my research is that I see that personal data acts like a magnet, and new and creative uses around the personal information will be both imagined and acted upon. I'm using old techniques like social engineering. So I think rather than list exceptions of what, who shouldn't have access, I would prefer to focus on justifications. The privacy, confidentiality, and respect must be balanced against other interests, and that balancing act must take place in the broad light of day. Right. And if the arguments cannot survive this level of scrutiny, they should be rejected. This will help us with what Alex was talking about, collection. It will separate wants in terms of information versus need at the collection point. Very clear and very useful, both of you. An enormously tricky area. Now, again, it's time for the break. We'll go there, and then we're going to talk about the things that you both think need to be done.
to deal with the kind of issues you've been raising. So let's go to the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. We all want to be happy, but consider that conventional thinking is what got us where we are now. The good news is there's so much more to know that can give us a new and higher perspective. Tune in to A New View of Life with host Kathy Kirk as we unlock the conversational gridlock in America by exploring new ideas and new information on every aspect of life which is needed to move us not just forward but upward. A New View of Life airs live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a homeowner who's trying to save on energy bills and go green at the same time? Tune into Energy Saving in the Home, brought to you by 521 Compressor Saver and Home Energy Consultants with host Gary Parr and Dennis Seltzer. They have saved homeowners just like you as much as 65% on energy bills through energy efficiency practices. You'll learn about conservation, products, and services to reduce energy consumption and save you money. Be sure to listen to Energy Saving in the Home, live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you living up to your full potential? If you're like most people, the answer is probably no. So what are you waiting for? Tune in every Monday for The Potentialist, empowering people to reach their greatest potential. Your host is motivational speaker and author Dion Jordan. Each week, you'll learn what it takes to eliminate the gap that exists between where you are and where you want to be. With proven, easy-to-follow success strategies delivered to you in a fun and motivational way, The Potentialist airs Mondays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Alex Cameron and Dr. Bill Bonner. Our topic is caring in privacy. Now, this one, I'd like, this segment, I'd like you both to talk about the things that you would like to see done to improve on the situations that you've just been talking about. So basically, the question 
for us to discuss in, our, in two ways is what you would like to see done to enhance privacy. Starting with you, Alex, what are the things you would like to see done to strengthen respect for privacy in these electronic times, and who should do those things? Well, I think actually there, notwithstanding, obviously there are challenges and, and there are um, certainly um, bad actors out there who, uh, who violate people's privacy. I, I think by and large, um, fortunately, uh, there is already a lot of respect for privacy, um, both in, in practice and in institutions and as reflected in our, in our legal system. And um, so could more be done? Of, of course. Um, you know, that, I'm a privacy lawyer, so uh, <laughs> obviously there's work to be done uh, in this area, uh, which really requires uh, a constant uh, reflection and uh, adjustment uh, of, uh, I'll speak to the legal issues anyway, but obviously it, it uh, affects uh, organizational practices and, and whatnot and individuals' approaches to these things. Um, as practices evolve and technology evolves, we have to keep going back and, and asking these questions and reassessing whether uh, we've got it right. And so um, the, the types of things that can be done obviously are, are both sort of legal and policy, um, you know, educational. You know, our, um, our, our uh, commissioner and, and others have uh, an, an education mandate to ensure that individuals understand uh, privacy issues and uh, understand their rights and um, and the questions that they can ask and in particular uh, to ask questions around consent as I discussed to to um, you know un uh, to understand they have the right to access their personal information and to understand what's been collected and, and how it's been used and uh, to withdraw consent uh, as well so there are a host of, um, you know, sort of legal, um, educational uh, types of steps that can be taken, and um, business practices can be changed, and government practices can be changed. Um, but by and large, it's up to all of us, to each of us, to uh, to do these things and to ensure that they are done to uh, respect privacy in the way that we think it should be respected. Right. Bill, it's exactly the same question for you. What would you like to see done to strengthen respect for privacy in these electronic times, and who should do them? Bill? Yeah, no, I think that um, my own ideal would be that the um, person in the organization most able to, uh, to ensure the security of collective personal information should be made responsible for it. Um, as earlier, I think our focus on the present is a new time where the past doesn't matter and now we're in a new world with electronics, it seems to me it enables the, uh, what's the I'm looking for, for passing the buck. Okay, so in this case, uh, the Durham case that you mentioned, the nurse lost the USB drive. Well, the nurse did it. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not her job. She's a, a road warrior going to a clinic. Wasn't encrypted. Well, oh, that's the IT guy did it. He didn't encrypt it. Well, yeah, okay, but it's kind of empty. Um, they, they, someone decided to use a new program. Encryption wasn't built out the other end. At the end of the day, pointing at the, all the little privates isn't going to do it. I believe that you have to make the person um, most able to ensure the protection responsible for it, and that is in the corner office, at the most senior levels of the organization. And then make them aware of it and make them actually pay attention. You have to hit them where it hurts the most, right in the financials. 
Okay? They control the environment, the priorities, and the funding in which everyone else works. Um, legislation should have penalties, and they must be imposed to get their attention. As earlier, this gets the attention of the people in the corner offices, their board members, and their shareholders. The other alternative is, is, as you started the show off with, is a lawsuit, which has the same effect. Uh, the senior leaders of organizations will apply a cost-benefit analysis, so you change the equation for them. I think um, I, that's how I would go. Right. And I guess those two things fit very neatly together, don't they? And uh, they, as, you, as you've implied, Bill, and as Alex, I think, would agree, Lawsuits do have a place in this in bringing to the wider public attention of things that need doing. Now, talking of which, for my last questions to both of you, the same question, basically. Um, what's your message to family caregivers? You know, people who are caring for family members who aren't able to make their own decisions about who should and shouldn't see their personal health information. I'm afraid I have to ask you to be brief so that I, you both get a hearing. Alex, first, please. Yeah, well, the, the bottom line is somebody needs to be able to make the decision uh, when it comes to consent. And so if uh, the family member is uh, unable, and, and by that I'm interpreting that as sort of, it doesn't have the legal capacity um, to make those decisions because of their circumstances, um, then, you know, appropriate advice obviously needs to be sought and, and uh a, a personal representation or power of attorney or appropriate document needs to be um, put in place in consultation uh, with a lawyer, and um, and and that's the way that consent would would need to happen. I mean, consent is not effective if it's uh, uh, not from somebody who who can't uh, give the consent, and so that I think actually that uh, that that's relatively straightforward. That steps need to be taken to ensure that. Consent can be given. Right. Bill, same question to you. Your message to family caregivers caring for someone who isn't able to make his or her own decisions and about who should and shouldn't see the personal inf health information. Yeah, fair enough. To keep it brief, I'll, I'll just uh, emphasize what actually Alex emphasized earlier around the idea of limiting collection. Ask questions. Just because information is, quest is requested does not mean that it's necessary. Huge difference between, in my opinion, organizational want and organizational need. And push the envelope, and you'll be surprised sometimes just at how little information is required. With respect to, um, I realize that people that are caring for others don't really have a lot of time, so I can't help but believe, and there's shows like this one that Gordon has, but there must also be social media, social networks, that people can share these answers to the questions that they ask. Um, I'm not aware of them, unfortunately, but I'm sure um, Facebook and other social media have forums in which people can exchange experiences. And I think that would be a way to do it. That the collectively, rather than isolation, as isolated individuals, we can actually change the rules of the games. One thing to say that individuals have power, but as isolated individuals, we do not. If we act collectively, we can have an impact on them. Um, thank you. That resonates very nicely with the name of this talk show, Family Caregivers Unite! Exclamation point and uniting in laying down some methods and rules of fairness about the sharing of information in the sorts of circumstances we've been talking about. So thank you for that. The second thing that I would just like to respond on is I think there's some movement, and I'm involved with it, in preparing 
what call family care guidelines, that is advice of the kind that you both have just been giving, put in a form that's understandable and that is available for people to read, think about and act on in the sort of circumstances we've been talking about. And who knows, I might get back to you both to see if you're interested in getting involved in some kind of discussion along those lines. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end, so I want to say thank you to our listeners. I want to say a particular thank you to Alex and Bill for sharing with us a great deal of insightful information based on your experience and your research um, and your studies and your work. The fact of the matter is that what you've been talking about, even though we weren't actually discussing healthcare, I can say from my experience is highly relevant and I think is a matter that needs more, much more attention along the lines you've been talking about, but it starts with people being concerned that privacy is something that needs to be respected, and when you're acting for somebody else, like a family caregiver acting for a family member who can't make decisions, we have to think about the interests of the individual whose information is going to be disclosed. So... Uh, I wish you both every success. I may very well be getting back to you because on the social networking part, the social media part, I have a very strong interest. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you both. Oh, now, in our well. next episode, we'll talk about understanding our FASD kids. So to our listeners, please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 